Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Jana Basto, co-founder and CEO of ProdPad, co-founder of Mind the Product, and product person at heart. And today the topic for our conversation is writing great product specs. This episode is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic is a low-fidelity wireframing software so easy to use you'll surprise yourself. Just drag and drop elements and get your ideas ready to share in no time. Try it free for three months at balsamic.cloud, entering the code UIBREAKFAST. Hi, Jana. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. We are absolutely thrilled. So before we get started with the topic, could you please tell us a bit about yourself, uh, your background story, and what you do for a living? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm a product person at heart. Uh, I was a product manager about 10 years ago when I fell into the, uh, the role accidentally. Uh, and I have uh, progressed by working with a bunch of different product teams and different companies. And nowadays, I founded um, the founder of ProdPad, which is product management software, which originally was just a tool to help me do my own job. And I'm also the co-founder of Mind the Product, which is a series of events in a community for product managers. Awesome. So you've been running ProdPad for a while. I've been following your awesome work since I think 2016, um, when you had a wonderful talk about gamification of free trials at LTVConf. And that was a while ago. You were already uh, pretty popular with ProdPad. Oh, wonderful. Really glad that you caught that one. We were talking about our uh, tactics around how to increase our bottom line and our conversion rate uh, by uh, changing around the way that we do conversion, uh, the, the way that we do our onboarding. Uh, so many other companies out there focus on launching new features in order to get new customers in the door. But what we did was we repositioned and repackaged the way that you trial ProdPad so that people would see the value of what was already there uh, in hopes that people would actually use it more and therefore sign up more. Uh, and it was a set of experiments that we ran, and we were able to find a set that worked really well for us. Yes, absolutely. And that case studies uh, these days, I think it's about all, all over the internet. <laughs> so I will link to some articles or uh, in the show notes about that. Wonderful. So uh, tell us a bit more about ProdPad. What, what exactly does it do for teams? So ProdPad is a tool that was built originally to help me do my own job as a product manager, uh, which was actually covering two key areas. One was making sure that I understand all the things that we could do and how those tie into our overall product vision. And the other one is outputting things in a way that I can share it with my team, such as making a roadmap and, and writing good specs. Uh, so ProdPad is a tool that allows you to uh, capture your uh, big product vision and capture your objectives. Uh, and then against that, um, capture all the different ideas and features and suggestions and insights that you've got from your customers and from your team members and from other people around you. Uh, and then helps you prioritize them so that you actually hit those objectives and, uh, and turn into that vision that you set out in the first place. Wonderful. So writing product specs is one of the features that you offer as well. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in ProdPad, any idea starts off as an idea. It could be a one-liner about something like, hey, we should make this button blue. Or it might be something much more fundamental, like, hey, if we thought about hitting this particular market. And any one idea can be turned into much more of a detailed spec. 
you can add things like a detailed description or functional specs. You can add a business case. You can give it uh, high-level measurements. You can add user stories and designs and all the details that might need to be known and written down, captured, before it gets sent on to an engineering team to go build. Absolutely. So let's let's go back to to the basics. Uh, if you were, you know, to explain uh, to give a definition to product specs, what would that be? So product specs have uh, changed a lot over the years. Uh, when I first started writing product specs, I was introduced to the PRD, the Product Requirements Document, which even without any content in it seemed to be like a five page document. And when fully fledged out, it was a uh, 30 to 80 page document outlining all the things that you could possibly think of that would need to be defined for somebody to start working on it. But that was a very waterfall way of working. Uh, I remember my first spec being 80 pages long and then finding out that none of the developers actually bothered to read it and uh, <laughs> went by um, the overall description and exact summary anyways. Uh, so from that point on, I started lightening my, my, my users, my my spec writing considerably uh, and have tried all different sorts of formats and uh, takes on it. Everything from user stories to uh, BDD to um, uh, Cucumber to all sorts of different formats that you see out there. Uh, to be honest, the the way that specs generally work best is just understanding who you're actually talking to and communicating as much as is needed for that person. So a spec could be a one-liner. It could be written on the back of a napkin and handed to the developer next to you, if that's what's appropriate, if that your developer is sitting right next to you and that's all you need. Uh, typically, though, a spec is uh, you know a few pages long, will outline um, some key details about what needs to be done, but doesn't necessarily outline the exact solution. Uh, you should be able to outline more around what the problem is and what you expect the outcome to be. And the engineering team should be able to help find a solution that matches that. Uh, one question. So there are a few levels of specialists working on the product. There's designers, uh, well, different people at different doing different things. Wireframes, high fidelity, visual layouts, uh, co code itself. So who is the person that you're addressing uh, when you're writing those product specs or do they change or get more reach when they're passed over to the next one working on them? I think you absolutely nailed it with that in that the specs will change depending on what stage it's at. Um, this is why, you know, in PropPad, idea, uh, something starts off as an idea and then gets turned into a spec. Because sometimes when you're uh, tossing something around, it's still just an idea. It's a problem that needs to be solved or it's a potential opportunity that you've spotted. And to begin with, you don't want to write a big detailed spec or send everybody off running in different directions trying to build something. You might just want to get some feedback from somebody. And so that conversation that happens around that idea is actually part of the spec writing process. It might be a brainstorming session that you have. It might be an informal conversation. It might be an online chat that you've had about it. Uh, but all of that uh, should be captured against that original idea so you know what's been discussed and what hasn't been. Uh, you know what kind of things have been tried. Uh, the more people that you can air an idea with earlier on means that your uh, final specs will be uh, better understood by everybody, but also more reflective of what's going to actually be useful for the market. 
there's nothing worse than having an idea, writing a big detailed series of specs around it, uh, sending it out there, and then realizing that if you'd only just shared your idea with the developer early on, you know, maybe she would have told you that it wasn't a good idea or that it wasn't functionally possible for various reasons or whatever else. Um, uh, or perhaps if you'd shared it earlier on, you might have figured out from a salesperson that he didn't think it was going to fly with his clients. So I always recommend that you start the spec writing process as early as possible and think about that spec writing process as the conversations you're having with the people around you, your customers and your team members. That's a great approach to take. There is an article on Prodpad uh, blog uh, dating to a while ago, pretty fundamental, where you describe the entire process, several steps that you go through in, in your company for for that. So could you get us familiar with yeah, that process? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the first step is to look at your customers and look at the market and look at the opportunities that are out there and find out what problems actually need to be solved. What sort of things are coming up time and time again that uh, you think are the, um, that, that represent potentially a chance to fix something, to, to solve a problem in that area. And it might be something small, like adding a small feature somewhere or fixing something within your app to make it smoother. Or it might be something much larger, like launching an entire product. It really depends on the stage that you're at within the, um, uh, uh, within your company. But the most important thing is don't just start writing specs from ideas that you have. Start writing them based on things that you're seeing out in the market and what's coming in from your customers. Uh, from there, uh, start doing some user testing. And again, this can be really informal. This is just a series of conversations that you're having. If you've got the resources and the time, you can do some more formal user testing. And there's lots and lots of resources about how to do user testing. But really what you're doing is sense checking as to whether this mm -hmm. problem that you've identified or the series of problems you've identified, which of them is the biggest problem? Is it a big enough problem that people have frequently enough that it's, uh, you know, it's something that people will pay to solve uh, or put time in to solve? Is it something that is a big enough problem that it's actually worth solving? Or is it something that's too small or too rare to, to actually represent anything? Uh, so start having these conversations and figuring out what sort of problems uh, people are uh, having or which ones are most prevalent, uh, and then start understanding what they would do instead. What are the alternatives? How are people dealing with this problem today? Um, are there competitors out there? Are there um, competitive solutions like people using whiteboards and spreadsheets instead of a solution? Um, and uh, this is around the same point in time that you can start finding out and figuring out like what the actual solution might start looking like. Uh, so as you start doing these user tests, it'll start informing your original specs and you start narrowing it down into something. And at that point in time, you can start taking paper prototypes and showing them to your customers. And after that, increasing those to more um, uh, detailed specs. So this process is can be anything from a, you know, a day long through to many, many weeks of research, just finding out as to what this potential solution might be to this potential problem. Have any interesting uh, uh, stories or case studies where that testing process and discussion process led to entirely different results and everything was overthrown or changed around or canceled overall entirely? Oh, yeah, all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we think about specs being something that's really, really er early. I mean, we end up throwing out most of our ideas. Uh, most ideas that we've come up with haven't been built for various reasons. Uh, you know, even going back to the genesis of Prodpad, uh, if we'd um, 
you know, listened to early customers, uh, we probably would have just built a better Jira, a better bug tracker type tool. But we started looking in and diving in and figuring out, you know, where was there actually a space? Uh, what kind of problems do people have? Uh, we realized that there actually was still a big problem that hadn't been identified around uh, writing specs and capturing user stories and that sort of stuff. Uh, and now that we've got ProdPad out there, when you're talking about individual features or individual ideas that we're coming up with, we're constantly figuring out um, ones that uh, you know look like a good idea from the get-go, but we end up throwing out, um, trying to think of an example. Um, uh, we've done a lot of stuff around um, integrations, so being able to integrate with various tools. Uh, we had originally outlined a list of tools that we thought were going to be important to integrate with, uh, and we tested the market in a variety of different ways. And the current set of our most popular integrations were actually a surprise to us. Uh, and uh, we ended up having to uh, throw out some plans to build some other ones that turns out no one was actually using. So it changed a lot. Uh, we've been um, uh, able to prevent ourselves from building too many things that never actually get used. Because uh, that's a very expensive trap to get stuck in. <laughs> All right. So uh, going back to your uh, your uh, your story, uh, what will be the next step after user testing? Uh, so it's a loop sort of thing. So you need to take those ideas, you break them down into hypotheses, you need to open up those product discussions across the company, do that user testing, and then when ready, send it to development, uh, get it over to your, to your dev team. Now, if done right, this shouldn't be a surprise to your development team. This should be something that they've been involved in and they've been able to see uh, the user tests, they've been able to see uh, some of the prototypes, they've been able to see some of the work that's gone into it. Uh, and that way, when they're actually building it, they know and understand the problem to be solved just like you do, uh, and they can start working on it. Now, um, as to how the development team works on it depends on a lot of different ways. Uh, the way that we've broken it out is that we've actually got uh, a couple of people who work almost solely on uh, prototypes. Uh, and so whenever something is sent uh, to development, it's actually being sent to development with the purpose of being user tested once it's actually in there. So we'll build a clickable HTML prototype, something that the developers will uh, create and and, and launch, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll then take back to the customers and do a final series of uh, evaluations to make sure that we've got the right stuff. And at that point in time, we'll change that prototype and get it to the point that now, uh, later on in the stage, we've now got a, cert a certain level of certainty that we've got the right sort of product and the tweaks that are being done to it are much smaller. And that way, when it actually goes to development, they've already had a really good insight into what it is they're trying to build and what it should look like on the front end and how it should react with uh, how the customers are using it. Uh, and so oftentimes, it's a matter of hooking it in to the back end and hooking it into the app and switching out those pieces. And that can take a variable amount of time, but we've certainly minimized it. And we know that by the time it comes live, it is as uh, we're as sure as we possibly can be that it is the right thing to build. That's wonderful. So uh, it's a little bit of a side question, but how do you, how do you find that balance between having a product owner's vision for the product and also taking uh, feedback from the customers, which of course is mo is more important, but yet is sometimes quite hard to parse uh, into uh, edible insights because uh, because of the human factor. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that's actually a misunderstanding of the role of the product owner. It's uh, the the stuff that's to be built is not based on the product owner's vision. It should be based very much on uh, the product owner's representation of the customers. Um, and so, uh, and the the end customers can be a variety of people. You need to understand the. Um, uh, the company as a customer, you need to understand your internal users as customers, and you need to understand your end users as customers as well, and your buyers and everybody else. And the product owner, uh, their job is to represent those different needs and make sure that they're being represented and uh, that the final specs that are being written represent those and that the final work being done solves the problems that the specs outlined. Mm-hmm. Great insight. I was wondering how much, uh, how do you deal with uh, some requests or uh, de- customer demands that uh, obviously a minority, but yet do exist? Because you can't be everything to everyone. So how do you turn down some of those? Uh, so it's very important to be able to say no to your customers, even if you're if even if you're saying it in a way that doesn't come off as a straight no. Because uh, what you don't want to do is turn people off from giving you feedback by just saying nope, not building that. Um, we always turn it around with a spin of hey, that was you know good feedback. Um, thanks for letting us know what you think. Uh, but you can also use your customers to help understand why it is they're trying to see something. So you can ask them things like. Uh, you know, it sounds like you've got a, a problem there. What are you doing today to solve it? What are the alternatives? Uh, where have you seen this done well in the past? Uh, maybe they can point you to uh, a competitor or maybe they can point you to another tool that does a similar function in a similar way that they'd like to see it done and you can actually learn from them. So always use it as an opportunity to get more feedback and to loop the customer in. Uh, but you also find that you can be quite honest with your customers as well. Uh, so if you if if they come up with an idea and you say, well, you know, we're not going to do that because we've already thought about it before and this is the stuff we came up against. Uh, a, they'll either understand where it is you're coming from and realize that you've got a constraint where you can't build this one feature because it doesn't make sense for whatever reason. Uh, and B, they might actually be able to help you solve it. Uh, if you say, hey, you know, we thought about doing this, but turns out it's not possible because X, we don't want to add this to it. Uh, they can actually come back and say, well, actually, I've seen another customer, uh, sorry, I've seen another company do this well and here's how they solved it. Uh, so it's always good to have that conversation and use those pieces of feedback as a way to open up. But it's also important to remember that just because one customer asks for something, just because 10 customers ask for something, doesn't necessarily mean it's the best thing for the business. This is why it's still important for any business, no matter how good they are at writing specs and building stuff, they need to have a solid vision. They need to understand where they are now. They need to understand what it is that they want to be in the future. Uh, and they need to have a good uh insight into what the potential obstacles are, what the problems are that they need to solve along the way. Uh, and that way it keeps them very grounded because, you know, if your vision isn't clear, you could be running off in any direction. Uh, you'll never actually get there. You, you know, the chances that you hit your original vision is, is very unlikely uh, unless you've actually communicated that with everybody in the team. So one of the best tools for product managers to make sure that they are saying yes to the right stuff is to have a solid roadmap. And by roadmap, I don't mean a list of features against a timeline that you plan on launching. That's much more of a release plan, and that should be very, very, very short-term planning stuff. Uh, A roadmap is much more of that long-term planning. And I like to think about a roadmap as being less about this ideal plan, but more about a prototype 
but for your strategy. So what you're doing is you're outlining all the problems that you think you're going to tackle between now and when you hit your vision, uh, and then prioritizing them and figuring out if they're the right thing to do or not. And just like a prototype, the roadmap is meant to be shared. So you should be able to take this document, share it with your customers and say, this is our roadmap. This is where we think we're going. You know, are these the right sorts of problems that you guys are having that we should be tackling in this order? Is there something missing? Is there something extra on here that you don't see the value of? And then taking that roadmap back and changing it based on the feedback that you have. Sharing it with your customers, sharing it with your team, sharing it with your board, your development partners, sharing it with everybody, just like you would a prototype for a piece of functionality. You would never be expected to think of an idea and then automatically be able to draw it out and send it on to dev in a day's work. You need to do lots of rounds of feedback on that and iteration. Just like a roadmap, your overall strategy is not going to be conjured up by one person's vision, uh, drawn out in a day, and then just followed blindly for the next two years. It's the type of thing that you should be sharing constantly, getting that feedback on. And that way, if somebody suggests something that doesn't match up with the product vision, doesn't match up with this product strategy you've written, then you can very easily say no and say, we're not working on this because it doesn't match what we want to be. And you can share that roadmap with them and they understand where it is you're trying to get to. Um, and it also makes sure that you don't get that uh, uh, into that bad habit of building things just because a customer asked for it. Because everyone knows that a whole bunch of features does not necessarily make a good product. Uh, the best products are a good combination of figuring out what problems are existing in the market and combining those with a solid vision. Absolutely. Which which leads me to discussing another problem, which is, you know, both both saying no in a way of giving promises instead of just saying no. And uh, how do you set expectations when you share that roadmap? Because customers could take that as a promise. However, there's a, so many variables changing every day and their current feedback might not even be uh, important because you're waiting for another round of feedback and more and more. And uh you know, showing a list of features being and problems uh, to ta- to be tackled in future can be a little bit dangerous in terms of expectations. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where um, a uh, a strategic roadmap should differ in that it shouldn't be a list of features. It certainly shouldn't be a list of features against a timeline of dates, uh, because that is basically making some promises that you don't you don't know that you can keep. Uh, I've seen so many product managers fall into that trap of um, creating this long release plan of different things they plan on getting out based on guesstimates that they and their team have made and it'll stretch out for months and months and months and in reality you don't even know how big your team's going to be by this time next year let alone how fast you're able to deliver so anything you put on that roadmap beyond the next couple sprints is basically made up and is not guaranteed and so shouldn't be shared with your customers uh, and shouldn't even be shared with your team i mean your team should be Uh, in a position that they are comfortable to uh, build what they're working on now and then assess that, assess the market, uh, and as a team, figure out what are the next next things to go build after that. So the level of features to build is, um, at, at the feature level, um, you know, you shouldn't be sharing that or shouldn't be making any promises about what's going to be built. What you should be doing is outlining the obstacles and the problems to be solved that uh, need to be Uh, that would need to be tackled in order to hit your vision. Uh, and at that level, you can share that with your customers because you're able to say to your customer, here's what our product is today. It consists of these 20 features and you know you can buy it now for $20 and this is what you get. Uh, and your salespeople should be selling on what you have today. If the customer wants to get involved and help um, 
frame and change the product, which is great, uh, open it up to allow them to give feedback, but also share the roadmap with them to say, this is what we aspire to be. Now, we're not there yet. We can't make any promises. Uh, we don't have any dates on this roadmap. We don't have any specific features on this roadmap, but we do have things on there that uh, suggest a particular area that we might tackle. Um, and so, you know, maybe one of them is taking your web app and making it more mobile. If somebody says, oh, hey, I see that you've got something about going mobile on your roadmap. What does that include? It's actually a great opportunity for you to say, I'm glad you noticed that. Uh, we think it's less important than this, but more important than this. Uh, when you say take it mobile, what do you mean? Like, can you tell me what devices you use and what kind of things you would want to do in a mobile way? And you'll then capture people. Maybe they're an iPad user who uses it on planes, and therefore you realize that you need an iPad app in an offline mode. Maybe it's somebody who just needs to be able to collect pictures and send them to the app. So you just need like a mini app that lives on a simple Android phone. Um, you don't know what that actually means yet, but you do know that you've got enough people asking for stuff around that area. And that will allow you to help evolve that roadmap to figure out what the importance is, but also what those particular features are. So when it actually comes to that point and you need to solve that problem, you now have the feedback from potentially hundreds of customers who've given you ideas as to what you could do in this area. Area. And that takes out a lot of the pressure from that first early stages of um, user testing and uh, finding problems to solve. Oh, I love I love that approach. Shane. Thank you so much for pointing uh, our heads in that direction because uh, the first impression is that, of course, no dates, but definitely some features of the roadmap. But it's wonderful to hear that we should be outlining just areas and problems to to work on. One question: If you were so. This situation doesn't happen too often because most likely you work with accomplished products. But if you were to work with a team that's building a new product, how would that product spec look like for round one, version 0.1, .1, I don't know, uh, when there's so many unknowns and even, uh, even research is still in progress? How would you tackle that? Uh, it's actually funny you mentioned that because, to be honest, it's considerably more difficult to work for a more mature product than it is for a brand new one. Um, a more mature product has tech constraints and people and politics and um, sometimes even regulations and laws that hold the product in place. Uh, some companies have such a slow-moving, risk-averse environment that they work in, that they operate in, that they can't make product changes. It would be against laws or regulations to do so. Other ones can't make changes too often because they've got... Uh, think about that. If you're a bank, for example, if you decide that um, uh, current accounts are no longer profitable for you, you can't just simply take them away on Tuesday. Uh, whereas if you've got this brand new product that's only just launched and you realize that one of the features you launched in as part of it wasn't actually useful, you can take that away on Tuesday and build it back by Wednesday if you wanted to, right? Like you've got that level of flexibility. Um, some companies simply don't have that. And so the more slow moving and risk averse, the more difficult that program, that progress is uh, of figuring out uh, what are the problems that you can still solve? What are uh, the constraints around doing that? Uh, what are you allowed to do? Um, how does that play in with the company politics and their attitude and all sorts of stuff like that? When you're in a small company, as in a micro team who hasn't launched a product before, uh, most of the time, the best way to get something out there is to just jot it down on paper 
and share it with people. Uh, so much can be learned by sketching something out into pieces of paper. And one of my favorite examples is uh, a game that you can play with your team where you uh, take a piece of paper, fold it up into four, so you've now got four quadrants, um, outline a particular problem, something that you guys think is your initial thing that you want to try, and then independently give people something like five minutes to draw four images, so, you know, a number of seconds per thing rather rather than, you know, hours of time put into this, uh, and then have everybody just independently sketch out four things. Then have them share their panel of four things that they've drawn on it. Uh, and these are going to be really, really scrappy drawings. Have them share them with each other, talk through uh, what they were thinking, where, what angle they were approaching, uh, how they would tackle it. Perhaps one person tackled the login page, somebody else tackled what you'd say on the homepage about it, somebody else tackled uh, the the um, database structure or the flow that a user might go through, all these different angles people could look at it. And then from there, give everybody another five minutes and a single large piece of paper to draw out another one based on what they've learned from each other. And guaranteed, the versions that came out of that last thing are going to be considerably more informed than what your first four panels were. And you could just rinse and repeat on that process several times in order to start getting the shared ideas to what it is you want to do. Once you've got something that is uh, legible enough, you can take it out and show it to a customer. Show it to somebody as you're walking through the mall. Um, you know, here's something that we're going to build to help, I don't know, connect uh, uh, new mothers with nannies, for example. Here's a great little app. Show it to somebody walking into the mother care at the mall uh, and see what they think about it, and you'll get some feedback there. So long before you break any code, before you touch your computer, you can be doing tons of this stuff using pen and paper. Uh, long before you build anything like a database or any sort of backend code or anything you plan on keeping, you could be building prototypes using, um, uh, there's tons of digital products out there, uh, whether it's... Um, uh, uh, we use Marvel here. Um, there's Envision app. Uh, there's um, things like Go Mockingbird or mockups.com or tons of little tools like that that you can drag and drop and turn your uh, paper prototypes into slightly more clickable, usable prototypes. And then you can make your prototypes more and more high def from there. Uh, you shouldn't be cutting any code at first. Um, you know, there's so much that you can prove or disprove just using uh, basic tools. Uh, the other way to prove stuff is to actually set it up as a service, right? So let's say your service was your, your product in the end was going to be a marketplace for connecting new mothers with um, nannies. Um, you could uh, set up a service that's using just the phone and you and a piece of paper and a spreadsheet and just seeing as to whether people are finding your services of connecting useful uh, and finding your way of working useful. And then finding out from those people, well, now that they're willing to pay you for this service, are they willing to continue paying you if it became an online app that they could book using their phone uh, or that they could book using text or WhatsApp or whatever else is the, the actual best format for your uh, solution? Oh, I love those both approaches. It's interesting. I was going to ask you about the tools. Uh, well, obviously, uh, the prototyping tools you, you mentioned, uh, but paper and pen uh, trumping everything for from day one yes. <laughs> is, is just wonderful. Uh, when it comes to online collaboration and actually writing product specs, which is which is a topic, uh, do you have any... F well, <laughs> you're probably a little bit biased <laughs> since you have this in your own product. But yet, uh, if, if you were to hack together a solution without ProdPad, what would that be 
do you have a favorite collaboration pr uh, platform for writing? Google Docs, I don't know, anything else? Dropbox Paper? Yeah, um, personally, I do a lot of stuff in Google Docs. I'll just scrap things out in there. Um, you know, uh, it's something that everyone has access to. Uh, and those Google Docs can actually be connected to your ProdPads. So if you've written something there, you're not necessarily starting over. You're just saying, here's some supplementary documentation that comes with it. Uh, and ProdPad is a place that you can use to either write those specs or connect all the different pieces. Um, so ProdPad isn't a design tool, but you can connect your designs into it. Um, it's not a development tool, but you can connect your uh, development work into it. So it's basically a place to uh, centralize everything and make sure that you've got all your specs in one place linked to the problems that they're going to be solving for each customer and to your objectives that you're building. Uh, but you know what? At the end of the day, uh, just getting something out. I mean, we see lots of people just starting their specs in Slack uh, because a spec is simply a um, an idea with a conversation around it. Uh, so, you know, we'll be chatting away going, oh, yeah, somebody's just, you know, emailed support asking about this and we'll see it in ProdPad. We'll have a conversation around it and then we'll go, oh, I wonder if there's an idea for that in, in our backlog anywhere. And using Slack, we've got an integration with it. You can search ProdPad and find out if there's an idea in there or you can create a new idea directly from Slack based on the conversations that's been had. So really use the tools that you've been using, um, have the conversations, um, make sure that you are making your backlog as transparent as possible so that people can see where they, uh, where their ideas have ended up. And that's where ProdPad really comes into its own is that it becomes this central transparent place for you to see what kind of things uh, people have been asking about and uh, what kind of ideas have been coming up in the past, uh, what customers have been talking about stuff. So you can continue those conversations even if they've been dropped along the way. Because at the end of the day, if you just have, you know, one thing in Dropbox paper over here and another thing in Google Docs over here and another thing, you know, 40 um, comments up in Slack, uh, it can get quite lost and we don't want that to happen. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your insight today. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up. And uh, my final question would be, where can people find you and your awesome work online? Oh, wonderful. Thanks. So you can find me. Uh, I'm Simply Basto on Twitter. So come find me there uh, or come find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, I'm, I'm there under Jana Basto. Uh, in terms of the ProdPad stuff, look us up. We are prodpad.com. Uh, and so you can start a free trial there and start using ProdPad and connecting it in with your other tools. Uh, and we also have what we call the Handy Guide for Product People, which is a small book that we've written that includes a series of exercises that product people and their teams can play together uh, and do together in, in, in order to build better products, such as uh, how to write a good product vision, how to start uh, writing good objectives and measuring your success against them, how to do the first version of your roadmap or how to write great product specs is also included in there. Uh, so you can actually get a copy of the uh, handy guide. Uh, best way to do that is head to our website, prodpad.com, or tweet us at um, on, prod, uh, on Twitter at prodpad. Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all these great resources, Jana, and for, for sharing your wisdom. Uh, and I hope all this advice helps our users, uh, our listeners, uh, figure out the best way to document their specs and products. Yeah, wonderful. Thanks so much for having me today. Thank you, Jenna, and have a great day.